Nicolas Cage, greatest actor of all time or just a paycheck hack? Well, you're tuned in for another episode of Caged In with me, Petrus Patsilovus, as I talk to a guest each week to try and find out that question. This week, I'll be joined by Carl Donnelly, a fantastic comedian, podcaster, an all-around bad man. Uh, yeah, Carl chatted to me quite early on in the lockdown period, so it's quite lockdown heavy this episode, and this was one of my first ones back uh, since having like a two-year hiatus, because that's what you do uh, uh, with a Nicolas Cage podcast. You start it, you stop it, and then you come back and you talk to a comedian who you're a massive fan of as your first one. And uh, hopefully this sounds sound, sounds good. Uh, hopefully I don't sound like a bumbling idiot uh, at all. Uh, and it's, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're in for a real treat. This is a fun one. Uh, there's, there's, there's many more in the back catalogue you might enjoy as well. And hopefully you'll be along for the rest of this journey. I'm going to chat to you more at the end. But yeah, enjoy this chat with Carl Donnelly talking about Left Behind. <laughs> this week's film, we see Nicolas Cage on a plane with a ragtag bunch of criminals and retrobates trying to get back to see his daughter no i'm not talking about 1997's con air i'm talking about the religious docudrama left behind i'm joined this week by carl donnelly podcast host comedian and newly online cookery show presenter how are you doing carl I'm good, man. Um, yeah, I'm uh, currently adjusting to the new uh, post-apocalyptic landscape. Yeah, so quite an interesting film to to watch, really. Yeah, it was a weird one because it basically for what what we did was I um, I saw I was do you know what it was? I was in the queue at the farmers market uh, on Sunday because now you've got a queue to get in and they keep you two meters apart, and um, I. For some reason, I was, I was looking on IMDb and I saw a hundred worst rated film list, and I just thought, oh, it'd be fun to watch some of them. And I started, so I started typing each one, starting from number one, the worst rated, to uh, just I started. I, t- I typed each one into Netflix, and it took to number thirty-three until I found uh, one of the films on the list that was actually on Netflix currently, and it just so happened to be Nick Cage's Left Behind. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't. It wasn't picked because it was an apocalypse film. It was picked because it was just literally the only one I found as I was going down the list on Netflix. So that was what drove it. And then I found out it was very much a fitting film for the current scenario. Yeah, because it's like, number. I think I had a look, it's number 33 on the list. So like, yeah. it's not the worst of the worst. Like, I actually saw that it's like, it was nominated for some awards, and I was like, "Oh wow!" It's like they could be bad, bad awards, surely. So it's five Razzies. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Um, it was nominated for the worst picture at the Houston Film Critics Society Awards in 2015, Excellent. and then one looked really promising. I was like, "Oh wow!" Like this looks like a good award because it's like inspirational <laughs> film of the year, and I was like. What was the awards? The GMA Dove Awards. Is that a Jesus Award? It is a Jesus Award. Yeah. Yes, it <laughs> lost out to a film called um, 
mum's mum's night out which like <laughs> from, from reading the first like reviews it was like i just loved the christian morals in this i was like oh here we it's go a, it's the perfect you know like i what if you actually watch the film it's you know in terms of how it's made and things it's like it's not that but I've, you know, you can watch B movies that are so badly put together. The design, the set, everything is so shit. But this film, actually, it, how it's made isn't the issue. The acting's not that bad. Nick Cage actually seemingly is quite calm in it. He sort of, you know, he, he carries himself pretty well in it. But what you learn from, I think, watching this film is any film that's made from a like a a, a position you know, that you can tell that the people who write it, writing it know exactly what they want to say and it's about christianity and how jesus is the way yeah yeah, yeah. and to write anything creative from that perspective you, what you see in this film is just, it can't work because it's so everything has to like follow the same moral path so that there's no jeopardy to the film at all even though it should be about something really dramatic it's not it just makes it really boring because you know what it's all about well yeah a lot of it's like shoehorned in as well like do you know I mean? and like it's just i don't know it's like a klaxon goes off of like Wah. like here we go like the music yeah. the music for one in this oh, mate. I, I will say it's got the worst soundtrack i think i've ever heard in a film it feels like they spent all the budget on nick cage and the, the guy the editor they've gone to him look mate we've got no no budget for music, so can you just nick like some royalty free bullshit off YouTube? <laughs> it's crap. Well, it's just like tonally as well, because obviously, like a lot of scores, they're kind of they're either there in the background, kind of just not not doing much, or like creating like an atmosphere, or they yeah. tell you how to feel. Yeah. Whereas this kind of like didn't know how to tell you how to feel it was just like right uh we got some kenny g style like sax going yeah. on then all of a sudden we've got like some hallmark channel like piano going on it's just like really disorientating yeah, yeah it didn't none of the end the music just didn't match the the emotion like there's a scene where basically no, no spoilers but it, this is actually quite a big spoiler um, the daughter of Nick Cage basically looks like she's about to commit suicide. She decides that she realizes she had, well, I suppose it won't ruin anything if we tell people it's about the rapture. So it's about end of days, God takes millions of people up to heaven, and anyone who didn't make the cut stays on earth for the end of days, essentially. That's what the rapture is. The Nick Cage's daughter realizes she didn't make the cut, and she just goes, Well, what's the point? She walks to the top of, she somehow gets from her house to the top of. Like I think, like it must. It's, I think it's New York, so I'm assuming it's like Brooklyn Bridge, or I don't know what bridge it is. And she's just suddenly gets to the top of it, and she's gonna kill herself. And then the song that kicks in, it sounds like a sort of uh, I don't, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. Something from like Hannah Montana, like just this like slave yeah, like singing, te teeny bop Christian rock, basically, isn't it? it like kind of it, like it takes out any of the emotional drama of what is essentially going to be or could be you know I won't, well, let's not spoil well we can't actually i do yeah, want yeah, to yeah, we can spoil it I, I guess a lot a lot of people who listen to this either don't want to want to listen to us suffer from yeah. it or want to like we'll probably watch along anyway so like I'd watch it just for, yeah because this scene like you're meant to be thinking this girl is about to kill herself she realizes she is not good enough to make it to heaven 
and this song kicks in and just totally destroys any of the drama. It's like, <laughs> it's one of the worst decisions I've ever seen an editor make on a film. Well, like, other, like, the casting choices in this are weird as well, because I, I, I often thought, like, why, why are these people, like, do, doing this? Like, Cage has come out in an interview, I believe your wife, like, pointed out during the, like, live Twitter thing that his brother is a pastor and, like, he's yes. a massive fan of the book and was like, oh, come on, mate, you, you've got to do it. Like, do, do, do one for the family. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, but, yeah, it's, and, oh, I mean, in terms of characters, like, the selection of characters is so, like, it feels like in the, when the writers were writing it, they were like, right, so we've got, it's mainly set in that first class carriage of the plane. Which, like, the set design for the plane is it's, bonkers. I know. I said on Twitter about it, it looks like the, the set design has never been on a plane before, which is like which looks massive. Like, it, Every like street is enormous. <laughs> like, and but, just the general carriage as well. There's like this could have been great if they had like just used like an old plane or something. Like, do you know what I mean? Or yeah, yeah, just film totally. like, got that real sense of like, even if it wasn't about religion, just being on an actual plane that claustrophobic nature and like Definitely. knowing like you've got to try and like land it and like shit's going down basically the yeah, yeah, yeah. on fire having having that claustrophobic like carriage would have been amazing yeah. whereas like this is just like it, 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 <laughs> it looks like a cinema they look like they're sat in one of those swanky cinemas up in like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, God, the seats are ridiculously massive and like the, just the selection of characters. So when you go into first class, the, the sort of character you're following is the journalist who's like meant to be a famous journalist. And he's like the good guy who cares about everyone. And then there's a, he sits next to a massive fat uh, black guy who's like saw him chatting up a woman at the airport. and was like, hey, you get that number. And then, <laughs> then you've got the nice old couple who just want to talk to everyone. Then you've got an angry dwarf for some reason. You've got um, the... Uh, Muslim guy who everyone's suspicious of. Yeah. It's like you go round and it's just like this is such a bad like it's it's almost like you're writing. It's, it's like your 15 year old wannabe film student is writing their first script and it's like we need one of these, one of these, one of these. Yeah, and we've got um, we've got the director's daughter who plays the like uh, druggie who yeah, managed to like there. sneak on a bit of like a bit of smack or something onto the plane, but she's yeah. pretty much channeling. Uh, Kristen Wiig's character from yes. Bridesmaids, basically. She's kind of like just slumped down in her chair most of the film yeah, until yeah, yeah. they need someone to explain a bit of like exposition. Then all yeah, of a sudden yeah. she's like, you know what, guys? All them Sundays of, sun like, of, of Bible yeah, yeah. class are paying off right now. It's also, I tell you, it's a really, um, you can always tell uh, when a film writer and director have never, ever experienced or met or spoken to anyone who has used the drug that they've got in the film. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can see it. I saw it in, and this is, I'm not digging him out or digging the show out, whatever as such, but like uh, Ricky Gervais did it in that Afterlife, his new, that last show he did. He had a heroin addict in it who yeah, yeah. was the least authentic heroin addict I've ever seen. And it felt like Ricky Gervais wrote that show without thinking, I should probably do some research and meet some heroin addicts to see what they're like. Like, because it just, it was so inauthentic. Even when he tries heroin, like it doesn't look or sound like you don't act like that when you take heroin for the last time. Heroin addict with the teeth of a Colgate advert. Do you know yeah. <laughs> and that's what this felt like. This 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 character just gave loads of exposition 
just she goes off at one point and she snuck some heroin on the plane and she takes it and she comes out of the like, toilet and you're like, how, like unless she did like the smallest amount of heroin of all time, she comes out and she's basically just exactly the same as she went in, just a tiny bit more chilled out. It's, like, well, yeah, it's not how it works, mate. From what I know from like, I don't know, just pop culture and, and like, know, like, like knowing about, do you know what I mean? Like pop culture, whatever, learning about yeah. heroin. Like, I'm just desperately trying to make it sound like I've never done heroin here. <laughs> um, it like, she would have been out for that entire flight, basically. Like, a good, like, fir- like a few, like, seven hours gone. Especially if she injected it as well. It's not like she, if she smoked it, you'd probably get a tiny bit. Yeah. It's a tiny bit of leeway to get back to your seat, maybe, before you fucking fall to pieces. But she's injected that. She ain't coming out of that bathroom straight away, just walking back to her seat to have a chat. Well, another person who's in first class as well is the mother of uh, a little girl who disappears, yeah. whose like, ex-husband is a famous like basketball player. Yeah. Um, she is played by Jordan Sparks. I'm not sure if you remember the song No Air with, like, I think it's with Chris uh, Brown. Right, yes. She's, I didn't know that was her. She sung that, uh, and uh, it's just, uh, it's just uh, insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, well, I, that's what I was like. The point I was trying to make was like, are these like, what did these people or like, what did the writer or director have on these people to get them in the film, or were they I mean, compelled by the religious aspect? Yeah, I would say there's definitely a couple of them went in it for the religious reasons, but I reckon the rest, you know, I wouldn't never don't put it past an actor to do something that they think is utter dog shit just for money and the credit you know what i mean it's acting is one of the hardest things in the world to get work so oh, definitely yeah yeah. i remember listening to an interview with uh stephen graham just saying at the end of the day he looks at it like he's a painter decorator yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah you've got to if you've got to pay the bills you've got to pay the bills if it's like <laughs> martin scorsese or if it's vic armstrong in this case yeah. like and also work, I know it's, that's what a lot of people i know i'm always very reticent to take the piss out of um sort of actors doing bad things unless they do stuff that I think is genuinely offensive or something like but I think it's a lot of actors just if they're out of work they'll do it for the work they'll also do it because you know they might every film has so many people working on it they they might do that film with the casting director might also be casting something else that is better you know I mean casting directors cast all sorts of shit so I genuinely think that often people don't people who don't know anything about the actual industry I think just be like, oh, what's he doing in that? And actually, they probably don't realise there's there's a thought process. They might be thinking, if I do this, this casting director that's done it is also, I know, casting this new series or whatever. So often there's a little bit of a, you know, just keeping an eye on their career sort of. Well, that's one of the things I've learned from doing this podcast is just, obviously at first, I think I was a bit hard on Nicolas Cage, but like I've grown to massively love him. And like, especially now, I'm kind of amidst the films that are like some years it's a solid like five per year. Yeah. And it's, I like that scattergun approach because a lot of them are like your stereotypical straight to DVD thrillers and stuff like yeah. that. And like, it's a lot of him just looking off into the distance on the poster and stuff like that. But throughout it, you get these kind of like little gems of like right. films that are kind of like, weird art house films like Mandy and stuff like that just kind of capitalise on the mania that he can bring to the screen. Yes. 
Well, that's why I was weirdly, actually. I found him very restrained in this film. I was sort of hoping for a bit of, you know, the bit of the madness. And actually, it feels like he has a bit of reverence for the fact that it's about God. It's almost like he was like, I should probably just wind my neck in a bit during this and not. Well, it's, a, it's a very strange choice because, like, from, like, doing research into him as a person, he's very much into, like, voodoo and, like... he's a very like he owned he owned a house in um new orleans like supposed like famously supposed to be haunted he owned a house in england does he own a castle or something in england so i've once heard rumors that he owned some crazy i think like a haunted house in england yes it's in like bath like yeah i think around like new year's this year like just gone he um he was in a pub in dorset and just brought everyone around (laughs) so like he's got this yeah he's got this kind of crazy like i don't know private life where he's into like the it seems like not i'm not saying he's like into the occult and stuff like that but like doesn't strike me as someone who's very like very religious and like throughout his time has probably like dabbled in a lot of drugs for instance look at the terry wogan the best ah (laughs) <laughs> it's the best entrance to a, a chat show interview of all time, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. Of like, would you would you ever would you ever consider that as like the start of like a, a an Edinburgh show out, out there? Bang, here he is, Carl. Oh, yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you come out of a proper. Just, I just, yeah. I, I mean, he's he's. I mean, I, I genuinely, you know, he gets a bit of shit, but I genuinely, I'm a massive fan of his. Like, for you know. Every stage of his career, I've sort of, there's always a film that I'm like, yes, now you know this is a this is what he's all about. Well, you yeah, know, even is... like, but like, you know, sort of watching the remake of Bad Lieutenant and stuff, you see him at his like, most gross, like extreme. I just yeah, I thought he's, I, 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 I think he's an excellent actor. Yeah, but that film as well is one of those ones I was talking about where it's like it's directed by Werner Herzog, who's kind of just yeah. like this renowned art house like director but in amongst that he's doing all these other weird films like and like in that period especially he's doing like uh g-force and like astro boy and stuff like that like kind of like stuff for disney and like yeah it just come off doing like the national treasure films but then i love the national treasure films i genuinely love them they're like they would be I'm trying to think what I put them in a category of films like almost like Goonies in the sense of there's something that if they're on over Christmas or Easter or something, I can't not watch them. I, I find them, you know, they're proper like the, like the original mummy, not the original, original mummies, yeah, but the yeah. Brendan Fraser mummy films. I just, I just, there's something entire, totally enjoyable about sitting them. It's a, it's a good adventure film. Well, it's that thing as well. It's like, you, I, I can't help but like when I watch those films, think about like being in that situation of just like because a lot of time it would be like a relatively like normal looking room and just like yeah. the idea of like like the Goonies, like they go to that kind of like rundown restaurant, yeah, and then it's like this whole world of like treasure and like pirates underneath and stuff like that, and it's just like that thing of like him stumbling upon these like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like whether it's on the desk in the White House and stuff like that, or in like. Just that, I love that stuff. Just yeah, him yeah. around the White House. And I don't think like I don't know like 
the un, the Uncharted games on like the the PlayStation. They're they're pretty much like national treasure. The game, right. and it's like that. Like that. As soon as soon as I kind of saw a trailer for one of those, I was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Like, it's like <laughs> it's, you pretty much get to play. It's like, yeah, Benjamin Gates, like just wandering around finding all this like weird treasure and shit like that. Um, but I was going to have a look at his IMDb because I genuinely, I've not, I've not seen much, you know, in the last few years. And this is probably one of the most recent Nick Cage films I've watched. Like, um, I'm trying to look down, even going down now, I've not seen anything in the last, see, I've not seen Mandy. Um, I reckon the last film I probably watched of his that I really, I met the producer of uh, the USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, Um it's the weirdest experience. I've just going down his list. That was, that was 2016. I was on stage at the Comedy Store about two months ago in London, and there was a there was a woman and a, a husband on the front row who I recognised. Turns out she was a quite a well known journalist back in the sort of the nineties. Her husband was a I think a Liberal Democrat MP, and sitting next to them was one of the most bizarre looking um, people I've seen. Like. He looked like a character from a film. He was wearing an incredibly sharp pinstripe suit. He had sunglasses on, like proper sunglasses, indoors at 8, 8.30 at night. <laughs> he had slick back hair. He was probably about 6'4", very good-looking, probably 50-year-old. And I asked his name, and he told me it, and I just, I sort of said, look, I've got to ask, man, what do you do? Because you look like, you, you look like you've <laughs> walked, I mean, dressed like a film character. And he said he was a film producer. And I was like, what? And I didn't believe him. And then I sort of I chatted to him a bit and he was, and I said, what's the last film you produced? And he said, I, I produced uh, USS Indianapolis of Nick Cage. And I was like, shut up. And we had a bit of fun. I took the mick out of him a bit, but it was actually good fun. And then it turns out it was true. I'd sort of, I looked him up on IMDb and it was him. And then we had a chat at the break. He was actually, he was a proper film producer, like an American, full of himself, but nice. That's, that, amazing. That, That's yeah. amazing, man. But I haven't seen the film. So I'm going back down now. I'm trying to think the last sort of proper film I saw. I mean, this is this is it. 2014 was left behind. That's probably, that's the most recent film of Cages, I think, I've watched. Because I saw Joe, which was obviously from the year before, and I really liked. Um, and before that, I mean, I tried to watch Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. That was horrendous. Drive Angry was not good. Do you know the one before that? Do you know what I really enjoy, even though it's kind of crap? But I've got a lot of time for it. Is um, the Sorcerer's Apprentice? So yeah, I'm um, I'm yet to watch that, but I've just recently got a Disney Plus like uh, yeah account, and like, I saw that it was on there. And I was like, oh, amazing! Like, obviously, is it a go? He he's he's very. I, I think he's great in it. It's proper. It is. He sort of plays it a bit different. I, I don't know something off in it about it's like the way he played that character. I really like, and it's a very good sort of fantasy film you know it travels through there it covers a lot of time in the film like where it starts and where it ends and he just he plays a he plays a wizard very good <laughs> i'd say see that's um, what i mean that's what he's like he seems like he's more into is like yes. the world of wizarding not so much the world of like the bible that's like his performance almost like he seems scared to like yeah. offend and like i always find and like i did a I did a Twitter poll for this to find out what people thought. Because my criteria to find out, like, what Cage's performances are like is, is his hair mental? Yeah. Does he, like, do a strange voice, like, in some way or, like, kind of... I'm not sure if you've ever seen the film Vampire's Kiss, but, like, he's got this... 
it's an absolute it's an absolute whirlwind of a film. It's kind of it's kind of like a prerequisite for American Psycho, kind of like this ad executive, okay, who um thinks he's becoming a vampire basically. Yeah. Um, but he's got this kind of voice that is from another planet, just kind of like it's part Bill and Ted. It's yeah. part where the fuck are you from? Love it. But um, he's not really. Um, that's the thing, you know. He's in terms of acting style. He's not really an actor who becomes another person. He's one of them. He's one of them actors who is a star. Yeah, you know, he's got that sort of charisma where he makes the character part of him. Right. You know, it's that different style of acting. It. You'll see. So you'll see a one of them proper character actors who just disappear into yeah, the yeah, character yeah. and they become this thing. Whereas Nick Cage, you're always watching, this is that character if it was Nick Cage, essentially. So when he tries to do an accent, it's like, come on, mate, you need to <laughs> you go into Con Air time, innit, where it's like, well, oh, come on, <laughs> this accent is absolutely mental. But what I found, so yeah, the, the last one is, so there's hair, voice, yes. and how much does he freak out? Yeah. What I find the most enjoyable is when those boxes are ticked. Yes. Uh, whereas this one, n- like none of them are really ticked. He doesn't freak no. out. He's kind of just got your your number two on a he- a barber's wall from yes. the nineties. Yeah, and yeah. He's like his voice is just like if anything, he's, he sounds quite subdued. Hmm. Just like he, definitely, he has that reverence for the for the source material. Yeah, I say if his brother's a priest and that, and it's a film about God, I'd say he was a little bit probably, you know, thinking, I don't want to do anything that's going to upset him. So you mentioned earlier the IMDb score. So this got one, uh, 3.1. Yes. Which is pretty, pretty bad, right? Have you checked it, have you checked it on Rotten Tomatoes? One, 1%. One percent uh, th- um, critic score, audience score is uh, 35, 36? I think it's thirty six or thirty eight percent. But I suspect a lot of those are um, God fearing. <laughs> well, the thing is, like a kind of audience score, I'm not like I'm always wary of because these are the same people we allow to vote. That's it. I love it. <laughs> I find it really fascinating when people say. Like people talk about, I am a Rotten Tomatoes score and be like, yeah, but look at the audience score. You know, when if, when something quite um, culturally cool gets slammed by the critics, you know, it happened with um. Remember Dave Chappelle's special came out. Yeah. yeah. Some, of the, some of the critics sort of dug it out a bit, and it was like he was saying, why is he talking about some of these things? So critically, it looked pretty, yeah, average. And then like, but it got like ninety nine percent sort of. And, and I, but I think I saw like people using that as a a sort of some example of why always trust the audience score. And I was I was watching comedians say that, like, you do not, that is not correct. I know it sounds horrible, but the audience is not always right. Well, it can work in the, like, reverse as well, where something is critically, like, applauded, but for some reason, like, you find it a lot with the, like, superhero films. You just have, like, brand loyalty. So, like, DC fans will go out and just, yeah, the yeah, new yeah. Avengers film just, even before it's even out, just yeah. slam it so the audience score looks terrible. And yeah, it's like, yeah, it's based upon it's based upon nothing. So like, I just don't think I don't think you should ever judge a piece of work like it is a film, music, any theatre, whatever, 
you should never you should never base it entirely on group think do you know what i mean like if it, if it was based on pure numbers and ratings then fucking marvel whatever shit would be the best film of all time wouldn't it whereas like i'm not a fan of marvel films i know i'm just not not really my thing yeah. but i watch them because they're like they're you know i watch them on a plane because they're a plane film or something to me and um and you know i'll sit there and i'll enjoy it but i'll, I'll find i find a lot of the writing on it pretty shit and i yeah. think that I think there's too many uh, too many characters in a film. I don't think you should have more than about two or three main protagonists to make a good story. That's my thoughts on storytelling. But so I watch them films and think, oh, this is a bit of fun, but it's not a great film. But I know people that would sort of argue that fucking Endgame is one of the best films of the last decade. And I'm like, you're mental, mate. It's not. It's one of the most... It's, it's a significant film because of the size of it and what it means to the end of a saga. But compare it to flipping... I don't know, Dancer in the Dark or, you know, put it against a film that is a work of art and it's absolute dog shit. Do you know what I mean? That's, so that's why I never trust the number. I never trust the sort of or just audience ratings. Well, that is the thing that like, I've always found is there is stuff that is critically and like even audience score, like isn't, isn't good. And it's just totally subjective. Like, yeah, because, of course. And there is this very much like you say about the Marvel thing, there's this very much art versus commerce like yeah. argument that is to be had, like, a lot of the time. And, like, bringing it back to, like, yeah, Nick Cage, like, he's someone I found who has, like, flirted with both sides of that. Totally. Absolutely. And, like, has got the best of both worlds. Because even, like, The Rock, like, that mid-90s stretch of, like, yeah, yeah, Rock yeah. Uh, face-off Con Air, I just leave your brain at the door, popcorn. Style. Totally. Proper, proper action films, which actually sort of died out for quite some time. But some of his like best, best received films across the board, like I think Face Off has like a solid, like 90% like, audience score. Yeah, and yeah. High critical acclaim as well. Like, yeah. Because I think that's where I think, like, you know, a, a really great action film. Critically, I think you can you can totally critically see why it, why it deserves some plaudits. Like I remember, like watching the film Crank um, with Jason Statham, and that felt like that that felt like that started the new wave of action films. You know, because yeah. action films like sort of came into their own in the eighties, and there was what you'd call an action star, and they came through. And Face Off and that seemed to be at the end of that 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 yeah. sort of almost the end of the real action era. Um, and then it died off for a bit. And then Crank, I felt, I feel like Crank was the sort of starting point of the new wave. And now you've got all these like expendables and these films with like wrestlers in and stuff. And they, I think they come off the back of that really. But Crank, if you look at it, is critically, you could say it's almost the perfect action film. It so, starts and ends and there is no let up for the yeah, whole yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Builds and builds and it's, it's pure action and it's funny and it's got loads of just, it's got a solid action star who's just good-looking, muscly, and a bit self-aware. That's what you need as well. Yes. So um, the, one of the directors of that is the directing pair, Neville Dean and Taylor. Yeah. I'm actually interviewing Brian Taylor um, oh, on this podcast because he direct, like they directed Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Oh. Maybe he, I need to watch that then. <laughs> his, than, I started it and went, not for me, thank you. His solo effort as a like his first solo effort as a director was a film called Mum and Dad, 
with Nicolas Cage, uh, right. which is him and Selma Blair. And the premise, again, is just like, he's really good with these just like off-the-wall premises, like the Crank film. So it's like, yeah. you, it's like speed, but your heart slows down, you die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is the perfect action premise. Yeah, exactly. This, this premise is... Um, airwaves go out on your TV that's like yeah. make you want to kill your children. Excellent. So it is Nick Cage at his fucking like most oh, definitely. Yeah, like what year is that from? I'll, I'll, I'll watch that. What year is it from? Uh, 2017 or 17. Oh, so one of the years. So yeah, so I need to I need to dip into the last five years of Cage. So yeah, I'm gonna like I'm gonna talk to him about like that but yeah he is like the the director well yeah part of that kind of duo who created this like i love it it's that thing that i that's why i think you know and again because i am i'm a bit of a punt of certain films and tv you know i do like things to be a bit more i don't know um arty and i think have a bit more to them than a lot of the stuff that gets is successful nowadays but i do i still i can love i'd love a well made action like that thing face off and all that con air again you look at just the conceit of it they've picked something that is just so it's, it's you know it's quite dumb but they just go right this is it and we're going to commit to this face off that's that concept is such nonsense but i love it sorry i thought that claim was your end <laughs> um ironic i mentioned con air and that uh, the face off as well just the concept of that is mental but you just they commit to it to such a degree that you don't question it at any point of the film that this is fucking nonsense. Well, yeah, if you if you like landed on Earth from another planet and kind of got shown John Travolta and Nicolas Cage and went, yeah, I've got a film for you where he yeah. plays him and he yeah. plays him. Sign me up. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing and like you saying about like enjoying action films stuff like that did you enjoy left behind like because it's it's i don't know i don't how how would you describe it really like i enjoyed it much more than like you know we were all we were sort of all talking about it on twitter as we were watching it and i there was a few people that really hated it and there was but i actually think most people were enjoying it more than we realized we would when we when it because it, it was it, I think, oh, the first 10 minutes of it is bad you know it feels like you're watching a hallmark you know you're, you're watching a true movies two in the afternoon <laughs> one of them crap you know it just feels everything feels like an advert in it it feels like you're watching a 15 minute advert for something you don't know what it's selling because the crap music the bad the bad sort of soft focus everything just felt like i thought this is going to be crap and then cage comes in they get on the plane things start feeling a bit more like there's there was it was like there was some funny choices like the bit with the U2 concert tickets just was such a weird concept to be like for dialogue. And he's obviously having a bit of an affair with one of the stewardesses. So they start creating a bit of that. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm into this. And then actually when the moment happens, the, the rapture happens, I actually thought that bit was very, I thought <laughs> I, it really got me, caught me off guard. And at that point, I was like, "All right, I'm I'm into it. I'm into this enough now. I can deal with all the bad bits. I'm now in. I'm into it enough that I'm going to commit to the rest of it. And then it goes quite mental. So actually, I found it quite entertaining. Well, it is. It is. It is just a crazy like 
if you took out the religious aspects of it, it would be like it's a, it's a great premise for a film. Yeah, yes. just this kind of like, yeah, people disappearing is like what, what the fuck anyway? Like, well, have you what, ever seen leftovers? No, yeah, there's there, there's two well, shows, that, isn't there? There's that and well, there's the event as well. Isn't there's there? the, yeah, or well, there's the returned or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the leftovers is my, I reckon it's my favourite ever television series. Um, it actually weirdly it, it didn't like do but like numbers wise it didn't do that well, but it did well enough. But like it's it, it's in some lists it's listed as the best television series of the last decade, and uh, it's it's made by the people that made Lost, so it's got that weird slightly what's well, going on vibe, and it's about film, that. This film it, had like kind of in moments it was like this feels like just a badly acted episode of Lost. Yes, especially when they're all like kind of standing around, um, like going, "Oh, what's going on?" And like, there's like, comes out of nowhere, really. There's like um, an Asian scientist, isn't there? Just on the, yeah. on the it just feels like again a bit of like questionable <laughs> casting of like, yeah, the angry like, uh, the Asians or experts yeah, just yeah, happen to be both in uh, in first class. Get some glasses on him. He's smart. Yeah. And, like, I get, like, some of it in that regard didn't feel, like, utilised. I thought there was going to be more of, like, a subplot with the the oil tycoon guy. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. kind of guy with a string tie. And I thought, like, they built it up because you kind of, like, the first scene you have of him, he's on the phone, like, kind of cutting a deal. And you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to be a prick. And there's going to be some kind of narrative arc where he, like redeems himself over over the film and he just kind of gets like let left behind to like yeah, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, like and it's a lot of those like plot uh plot threads plot threads um yeah. plot threads kind of just get like brushed to the wayside well, that's what i actually felt like you know it was it's it would take a good film writer and filmmaker to do that film right because like if you compare it to basically the leftovers is about almost exactly the same thing, but you never ever find out over three full series. You never find out why those people disappeared. Like they just, it could, it could be the rapture. It could have been a, no one knows what it is, but what's really interesting about the leftovers is it starts on that moment. So literally in two minutes into the first episode, millions of people disappear just at thin air. And then it just shows the reaction for about 10 seconds and then it cuts and it starts a year later. It's like, it just starts up with if, how would the world try and move on away from that with just with that lack of knowing and understanding? Like, what, how do you go back to normal when something that, that weird has happened? And it just goes into this three, three series of people. Some people have lost their minds and become religious zealots. Some people just sort of block it out and try and act like nothing happened. Some people are just sad because they lost their whole family. Some people are confused because no one they know disappeared. Like it's, and it's just they're the interesting questions. Whereas this film felt like um, it happens and you just know why it's happened. It's a rapture because they've talked about God for the first half of the film. They keep dropping in these biblical references. And the second half of the film just becomes a, they're trying to land the plane somewhere. So it just, I just felt like it, it, uh, it asks an interesting question but doesn't answer it in any it's not answer it. You don't need to answer it. That's what the leftovers doesn't answer it. But 
what it then what the answers it does give you is how like what would certain people do in that situation i don't think the film did any of that i thought it was quite a boring way of dealing with that well because this is like based on like a book like series and like there's there's multiple films that have been made before like it kind of felt like a budgetary like restraint in the fact of like it could have been a lot broader if they were dealing with culture whereas they're like well if we just put it on a plane yes it's kind of like it's it's like a capsule you know what I mean? it's like an episode of two yeah they kind of like are, are trapped in somewhere or like yeah it's like and also i think if it's made you know i imagine the books the book series by all counts are probably very entertaining because it, it, if it's about the rapture and the fallout then that's the interesting stuff in it and I, I imagine you could get loads of stories out of that and how people react and so i just think this film you know, to have something so big happen and try and just make it work in an hour and a half set on a plane, you'd have to have an incredible film writer and director to make it work. And actually, I think it just feels like it's a bit all over the shop and they didn't really know how to make it work. It is that thing of like, like, yeah, I don't want to just shit on religion, but if this didn't have that religious aspect, a good, a good if not well-trawn like premise anyway of like a, a plane in distress and it needs to land but if it took out like like you were saying about the leftovers if it took out that religious aspect and it was just like a plane's got to land and loads of people have disappeared yeah then it's like well what the fuck's going on like yeah, whereas yeah. this like you said like you know you know why they've gone like some people i don't know how they didn't go like there's an old lady on the plane who like yeah brings like one of the like moments of like light relief at the beginning where she's kind of like oh we're we're, we're home she's kind of like just shown to be like seen up again not really like she's built up and then just brushed to the side but i like to think that she didn't disappear because she forgot she was religious well yeah i mean this is it <laughs> this is all the questions that could have been raised in the film like you know, you've got uh, uh, like there's there's a bit cuts to the daughter and she goes and sees a priest and the priest hasn't disappeared, so he didn't make the cut. So the storyline of how, why didn't he? That would be such a more interesting storyline than them trying to land the plane. You know what I mean? It felt like it almost you know, the question if you'd want all the all the stories about why people didn't get to go to heaven. I think aware that film could have gone, it could have been if they'd have just known what they were doing a bit, or or gone for that rather than that's not the questions they want to answer, in it. They they've got their idea of it's just about the rapture happens. Well, yeah, because in the first like ten minutes, you know, you know, you know, it's like the rapture, basically. Or like totally. when you it know happens, it's odd film. The the moment it happened. Whereas like if they had brought that like the disappearance in earlier, they could have explored like if in Act One we had met the priest. Yeah, and kind of had like him teaming up with the daughter, and like kind of a bit of a bit of background yeah, yeah, on him. Yeah, yeah. Like, what what dirt has he done? You know what I mean? The old dirty bugger. Well, that's right? it. Like, how, a pre- what has a priest got to have done? What was his life before he went into the priesthood that he didn't make it into heaven? And I was like, fuck, man, that's some interesting stuff. But they don't. Yeah, I just felt like the filmmakers didn't really. It's almost like they didn't notice that that these things could have been interesting. That always worries me when when you watch a film and you're like. Oh my god, the film like they've missed so many good ideas. <laughs> well, it's that, it's yeah. that thing. It was a so I found it entertaining but frustrating as what I did because I kept thinking what they oh where that could have gone, where that could have gone. Why is he still there? Why is she still there? 
So yeah, and yeah, just and the end was so rushed. Once they land the plane, you know, they had this mad sort of almost Die Hard Two style ending where the plane lands, and I thought he's reunited with his daughter, and there's going to be this moment where now what? But actually, they they have that bit. I felt it was so rushed. Like they get off the plane, and there's about a mi- two minutes worth of dialogue, and then the credits roll. I was like, what the fuck? You can't end it there. Well, it's quite bizarre as well at the end because his daughter has met like Chad Michael Murray's character, the, the 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 journalist, maybe for like ten minutes at the start, like real time, yeah. like in real time, they kind of had a chat, have a coffee. Yeah. And then she rushes off the plane, kind of bins off her dad and is straight over to <laughs> Chad Michael yeah. Murray. And it's like so weird. Yeah, there's a lot of strange stuff like decision making going on in that. There's been no, yeah, and again, there's been, there's no real character development for you to like care about them two hooking up at the end. Absolutely not. Nothing. And like, I find it bizarre as well because obviously it is a religious film, but we are left in the like company of the heathens, basically. And these are the people we're supposed to be rooting for because these yeah. are the people not good enough to get to heaven, basically. Like, but also, that, and that's that's the strange thing I found with it. It's meant to, if it's made by people that believe in that sort of concept, you know, actually, what you see is the daughter seems very nice. She's out, you know, you see the Chad, what's his name? Chad Michael? Murray. Murray. He his character, like, like, yeah, you know, his character seems like a really good guy. He's around helping everyone and you know, there's loads of the old lady. You know, there's loads of characters that you're like. These seem like really nice people. So actually, if they didn't make the rapture, I'm not too keen on the idea of the rapture. Like, if that if God, if they didn't make it, then God seems to have made some questionable decisions. Oh, oh if they they didn't make it, I'm definitely like, do you know what I mean? I'm definitely yeah. going down. <laughs> so it felt like actually, it just it creates this idea of a much of a sort of judgmental God. You know. Um, Bedroom doors just opened on its own as I just criticised God. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit! The rapture's come for me, mate. Um, Let me just shut that. Strange. Strange business. Um, So Carl's now shut God out of the room. (laughs) Back back to the blasphemy. Disappeared, guys. He's now (laughs) a little puff of dust at them. Just a black T-shirt on screen as headphones <laughs> on the floor. That that was one of my like highlights. Was that kind of scene of ju- just just got like the costume department must have had like a real a real a real good day of just being like we just got to pick out outfits that are going to drop to the floor. Like oh, I don't know. I just find one of the funniest tweets I saw while we were watching it from somebody who was watching it was really just like there was a bit basically that the scene where it first bang happens and people just disappear. The daughter is hugging her little brother, and literally he disappears in the clothes. She suddenly is just hugging empty clothes. She's like, and that I actually found that you know, even though the, I think the effects were all right, but that moment I thought was the best moment in the film in terms of that. I was like, oh, that is a. If this did happen, that would be the shocking thing. If you were literally holding someone and they just disappeared, but loads of clothes start falling. <laughs> From in the, the sky, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, basically, and somebody just said on Twitter, I was like, oh, hang on, those clothes that fell in the mall, did that mean there was loads of people just walking around the sky? <laughs> and it is, yeah, there's just weird things like that. But actually, that moment itself, I liked. What I didn't like then was, again, they had people looting within about two minutes. It's like, that's not how people, you know, people would be too confused for 
The looting wouldn't start for a day or two, I don't reckon. Well, one of the gaffes uh, on uh, IMDb, because obviously it lists all like the the factual inaccuracies and stuff oh, like that. It? Uh, one of them is that literally within seconds of the rapture happening, the news are like reporting on it, and it's yeah. like how quick? How quick are your reporters? Like I know it's, it's nonsense. It's, yeah, it just feels that's why it felt. Like. It felt like the film was really rushed. Yeah, there's, to a, try there's like the list of like gaffes and inaccuracies on this is forty-eight oh. entries Hello. long. Right. Sorry, you cut out a bit there, man. It went a bit so, robot. Yeah, the go. gaffs is like forty-eight entries long of like mistakes in this what? film, and it's like uh, even down to like locations and stuff like that. When the plane takes off at the beginning, yeah. uh, it's supposed to be like JFK, and it's um, it was filmed at Schiphol Airport in, <laughs> in I Amsterdam. Felt very European, actually. Yeah. I felt, yeah. That's interesting. And like I think a, a car crashes into the mall at one point, and the engine's revving, but there's no one driving it, which oh, yeah, again yeah. wouldn't happen. And it's just yeah, like, there's loads of stuff like that. Just like, loads of weird things went after the yeah, like, yeah, the school bus is one, and like it just felt odd. Like sort of all these weirds. They were just trying to show funny empty things. And I just felt like it was a bit. It all felt a bit rushed and put together in a bit of a haste. One of the things that I think like is the biggest question in this film is why is everyone now naked if they've gone to heaven? Like, yes. why didn't the clothes go with them, or or is it or is it a? a Hang on a second. Right. Don't know what's going. On. I think my wife's taken a delivery or something. There's a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah. Why, why? Why is everyone naked? Like, yeah, I know. Since they've gone heaven. to heaven. Heaven's just like an absolute filth. And also all the kids. There's a naked kid walking around, mate. I don't want to go there. <laughs> that, 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 that's like a bizarre thing of it. It's like everyone's naked. Now, I like got me thinking. Maybe it's because like, I think too much into these things, having like been just studying Nicolas Cage's films, is, and well, just studying films in general, is this thing, is that is that a religious like, uh, point against the fashion industry. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, the, yeah, cl yeah. the clothes aren't worthy for for heaven, <laughs> and, unless it's from a born a... naked, as God intended. Why yeah, have you yeah. put clothes on you, dirty bastard? <laughs> so, my final question I'm going to ask you in regards to the film, Carl, yeah. is: Would you would you watch it again? Do you know what? I mean, I don't think I'd rush to watch it again, but I definitely. I definitely enjoyed it more than I thought I would after that first 10 minutes. I thought after the first 10 minutes, this is going to be such a slog. And actually, once they're on the plane, there's, you know, and I found there was there were some bits that were, were funny, that like bad, funny, but there were some bits that were entertaining, you know, and like, it just, it, it was, it had enough, it was enough moments that I thought were, there were some moments that I thought were terrible, but funny enough that I was like, that is so bad, it's good almost. Like the bit where the daughter, the daughter goes from, she's about to kill herself. And it turns out she's at the top of a bridge so she gets reception and takes a phone call from her dad on the plane and then has to go and make a runway. And like that, that transition from her about to commit suicide to stealing a motorbike to then 
commandeering a steamroller is one of the funniest uh, bad transitions of like transport in a film I've ever seen. So there's bits that were so dumb that I was like, oh man, I, I, I couldn't turn it off now. This is too silly. Well, it's, it's almost like a pastiche, like without knowing it, like, cause it kind of, yeah, yeah anything yeah. that like brings you like to think of other films, like the, like you said, Die Hard 2 is something I thought about a lot, especially with like uh, yeah. the journalist on the plane. I just kept thinking of yeah. you know, that that real arsehole who's just like, like especially when he's around with his camera, like I've got to get the footage. It just reminded yeah. me of that guy who's who's in the bog in Die Hard 2. Going, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and it's, I just thought this could be a great, like in the way of like Airplane, a great like comedy film if they really yeah, lend yeah, into yeah. that. But, I don't know. They wanted to kind of have their cake and eat it by making a, a thriller, but they were hamstrung by this yeah, yeah, religious yeah. like Definitely. weight upon them. Yeah, that's what I felt. But no, but yeah, I didn't. I did not enjoy it. I really, I enjoyed watching it. It was a bit of fun, and you know, it's it, it just you had to watch, you had to sort of hold your nose a bit now and again. And would you recommend people at home to watch this film? Definitely, you know, we've got nothing better to do currently. You might as well watch a sort of, you know, again, it's sometimes fun to watch a bit of a shit film. That, you know, you can, yeah, if you watch a great film, you're going to just, you know, you know, you sort of, you're, you're critis- critically looking at it, like how amazing this is. Other film, yeah, and anything that's thought of as good, you're sort of working out if you like it or not. Sometimes it's good to watch a film that you're pretty sure you're going to think is crap, just because it, you can switch off your critical faculties and just kick back and just sort of laugh along and, well yeah you know, you've kind a, of a, got to freedom to it isn't it yeah you've got to you've got to have a bit of like i don't know you've got to have the peaks and trough like with everything in life like yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't have that real like bottom of the barrel stuff yeah. then then the highs the highs won't be as high so sometimes you've got to like treat yourself to a bit of left behind to really yeah. enjoy the irishman i agree <laughs> Well, that's perfect. Thanks, Carl, for coming for, for and talking about this this absolute plane crash of a film. <laughs> it's always been fun. And there we have it, the fantastic Carl Donnelly. I'm sure you agree. And if you're not listening to one of many of Carl Donnelly's podcasts, uh, Two Vegan Idiots is one of them and the Keith Cheggers podcast is the other as well as a comedian called Carl Drinks Coffee I would recommend them all uh, they are fantastic and if you are lucky enough to see Carl in your local area I know that comedy clubs are opening up as we speak or there's new ways in which you can see comedy whether that's online or in a pub garden somewhere or an outside venue i would very much implore you to go see carl donnelly or yeah if you're out of this country listen to his bloody podcasts uh if you have opposing views to me and carl if you feel that left behind is a great film that needs the accolades it didn't deserve those razzies then please feel free to get in touch with me on facebook twitter and instagram at caged in pod or if you want to go a bit more long form you can always hit me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com 
If you really feel like you want to support the podcast, you can do that over at Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash caged in pod. And uh, if you go on caged in pod dot limited run dot com, you can get the amazing prints I have for sale with the amazing artist Tim Hornsby. Uh, they're, they're fantastic. Um, I'm going to say that because obviously I'm, I'm selling them. Uh, they're yeah, great. They're great. Go on, go on all the social medias, and you'll be able to see those. Be sure to join me next week when I'm talking to Anna Bogatska of the Final Girls podcast and the Next Supremes, where we will be talking about Paul Schrader's ill-fated Dying of the Light and his subsequent Renegade Director's Cut. Dark. As always, I have been Petrus Patsavis. I have been caged in. You have been amazing. Thanks. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery Main, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.